0: They are important questions that are asked at every wedding. In fact, they're asked twice at every wedding. First to the man, then to the woman. Some of you who have been married in this church by me will know the words and I hope you haven't forgotten them. Here are the form of words that we use in this church. Will you have this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife, to live together according to God's ordinance in the holiest state of matrimony? Will you love her, comfort her, honour and keep her, in sickness and in health, and forsaking all other, keep yourself only unto her, for as long as you both shall live. To which the man responds, audibly, clearly, without any coercion, I will. And in response to a similar question, the woman likewise responds, I will. If either were to respond, I won't, Then there is no wedding, no marriage. But if both respond, I will, then at the conclusion of the service, I can say, I now pronounce you husband and wife. And from that point onwards, the married couple need to exercise faith. for marriage is an act of faith. But faith in what? Faith in the promise of each of the spouses to keep his or her word. To remain faithful to each other. If that promise is broken if the husband fails to keep himself only unto his wife, or the wife fails to keep herself only to her husband, then we say that he or she has been unfaithful. Now, I realise this is a very painful subject for some of us here, and probably for the many people who listen to this, downloading it on the web or listening on tape. But an increasing number of people today have been disappointed, betrayed is not too strong a word, by a spouse who broke his or her word, who proved to be unfaithful. And when you are the victim of unfaithfulness, be it a spouse, which is the greatest act of human trust, or maybe a parent or a business partner, Or a friend or whoever, when it happens you begin to ask, can I trust anyone? Will that person really keep his or her promise to me or will I be let down, disappointed once more? The good news is that there is one person and only one who always keeps his promises. God is faithful. That is, He is utterly, absolutely, always reliable. He always keeps His word. He always does what He promises. The challenge for us is whether we trust Him. Especially those of us who have been let down in the past. And whether we trust ourselves to him and keep on trusting him, especially when something he has promised has not yet happened and, humanly speaking, it looks unlikely that it's going to happen. Now, that was a challenge that faced some Christians who came to Christ from a Jewish background to whom a letter in the New Testament was written. It's one we've been studying over these past weeks. It's called the letter to the Hebrews. And it's written to challenge them. It is the challenge, as our series title suggests, it's the challenge of living by faith. You see, these Hebrew Christians, they started off well, despite considerable cost. They would put their faith in Jesus. They came to believe that Jesus really was God's son, the fulfilment of all God's promises in their Hebrew scriptures. But now, some years down the road, in the face of great difficulty, their faith was beginning to waver. They'd begun to question whether God would, in fact... Keep his word. And that was the reason why this letter to the Hebrews was written. To encourage them to fortify their flagging faith. And in the 11th chapter that we've been studying together, the writer tells the story of people from the past who went through similar experiences of trusting God. People who lived by faith. But the emphasis here is not just or even primarily on the faith of those who believed but on the faithfulness of the God in whom they put their trust and hebrews 11 the writer says look here's the evidence god has always kept his promises he's got a 100% track record of always doing what he promised god is faithful you can trust Him. You can have faith in Him. And there is then, as the word suggests, a clear link between the two words. And this is our theme for this evening as we come to the next part of our studies in Hebrews 11. A link between faith and faithfulness. Now let's look at our verses that are our fo- focus for this evening. It's uh, Hebrews 11, 11 to 12. The words will come on the screen, but you may want to look at the Bibles and the pews. If so, it's page 1209. And this is what it says. It's what God's Word says. And notice the bit that I've highlighted in, on the screen, yellow. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he is good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, as countless as the sand on the seashore. Now, once again, you need to refer back, and we'll be doing this, to the story of Abraham, which of course occurs in the first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, and particularly Genesis 17, 18, 21. I'm not going to read them all, but I'll be referring back to them, because the writer is writing to people who knew their Hebrew Scriptures. They were from that background. Most of us probably know some of the story, but I'll refer to some of it in detail. Just a word of explanation before we get into the story. Depending on which version of the Bible you have, You may have a version of the Bible which begins, By faith, Sarah. Our New International Version says, By faith, Abraham. But you'll see it's got a little footnote, that little bit at the bottom you can't read. And if you can't read it well, then just speak to Donald Cameron, who's an optometrist in his spare time when he's uh, not doing music in the church, and uh, he'll supply you with some spectacles. But uh, at the bottom, the little footnote says, By faith, even Sarah. Uh, the reason for this is a complicated story about the texts of the Bible and how you interpret them and if you're really interested and you've got an hour or two to spare next week then get in touch with me or I'll give you something to read. Uh, simply let me say however that whatever conclusion we come to about this uh, the production of a child is always a joint enterprise. Uh, it's about Abraham and Sarah. This is what the New Living Translation which hedges its bets as a good uh, paraphrase usually does. Um, It's what it says. It was by faith that Sarah, together with Abraham, was able to have a child, even though they were too old, and Sarah was barren. Abraham believed that God would keep his promise. So, having said that, let's turn to the story itself, in which we see, and I want to simply state three things this evening, three challenges to faith. Three challenges to faith, which Abraham and Sarah faced, and which I suggest you and I, at some time or other, will face, are facing or have faced. I'll give them three words which are easy to remember. Okay, the first problem they face is what I would call the problem of inactivity, which is indicated by the words past age. If you were here this morning, the story of Abraham, as Colin, our assistant pastor, was preaching, began with God calling Abraham and making a promise to him. God called him to leave his home, embark on a pilgrimage to a promised land. And he made a promise to him. That's what he said, Genesis 12, 2. I will make you into a great nation, I will bless you, I'll make your name great, and you'll be a blessing. It's a great promise. And Hebrews 11, verse 8, that we looked at this morning, tells us of Abraham's response. By faith... Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. Now, even allowing for the longer time span of ages, people seem to live a lot longer in those days. Abraham was not a young man when he set out on this journey. He was 75 years old. I Just bear in mind, he lived to be another 100 years, so people got quite a bit older in those days, but it was still clear that at this point he and his wife were capable of starting a family. But as the years began to tick by, their physical powers began to decline and with it their faith in God's promise. So when some years later the Lord appeared to Abraham again when he'd reached the promised land and said, don't be afraid, Abraham. I'm your shield and your very great reward. Genesis 15.1 Abraham had a question for God. Here's his question. O Sovereign Lord, he said, Genesis 15.2, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? You've given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. Now, do you see what Abraham is asking? Behind his question is the real question. Has the promise failed? Or have I misunderstood it? Is Eliezer, who was one of my servants the steward in charge of my estate, is he to be my heir? You see, Abraham's faith is being tested in God's promise. Is God really going to keep his word here? And his helpful little book on his Hebrews 11, Colin mentioned it this morning, uh, Run With The Winners, American Bible teacher Warren Wisby comments, if you're going to live by faith, then expect your faith to be tested. A faith that can't be tested, can't be trusted. And then he adds, temptations come to all believers, but tests come only to seasoned saints. Now, just dwell on that for a moment. You see, most people think, I mean, you young guys and all the young people here, you look at those older ones and think, wow, they've been Christians for so long now, they've got such a strong faith, I bet he never wobbles or wavers, never tested." People think that the longer you are a Christian, the stronger your faith becomes, so it is rarely ever tested. But the reality is, the longer you are a Christian, the stronger your faith should become, because it is tested. To even greater degrees. And one of the most trying tests, I speak from experience, And talk to any older Christian, they'll tell you the same thing. One of the most trying tests of all is when God's promises in your life have not yet been realized. When nothing seems to happen, sometimes for years. It is the problem of seeming inactivity on God's part. Now, I want to say something very important. When that happens, when you begin to wonder what God is doing... The worst you can do thing you can do is to present, pretend it's not happening, and to bottle up all your doubts. It's like the man with a large stomach who pulls in his belt, and all that ends up is you get a double chin. <laughs> doubts resurface in other places. No, the best thing you can do, what you must do, is speak to the Lord about it, to ask Him questions. You see, the opposite of faith, the opposite of faith is not doubt, but unbelief, that is rejecting God's word. Doubt is faith in two minds, a faith which needs reassurance. And so when Abraham asks this question to God, look here, I'm still childless and is this guy Eliezer going to be my heir? The Lord gives him a reassurance. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. And then God did a wonderful thing. He took him outside, it was obviously night time, and he said, look up at the heavens, count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. What is he saying? Abraham, the promise is still in place. Nothing's changed. Only the passing of the years. And with a renewed promise comes renewed faith. It's one of the most important verses in Genesis. It's quoted in the New Testament. We don't have time to look at it. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham is put in this right relationship with God because he believes God's word. When God says this, he says, I believe it. Now, you would think, that's it then. It's got it settled. End of story. The issue resolved. A covenant God makes with him, an agreement, special agreement. Faith reigns supreme, except for one thing. The years pass by, and there is still no sun, let alone a sky full of stars. You see, Abraham's faith is being tested by God's seeming inactivity in respect of the promise of a son and an heir. Now, when this happens to you, as it will, you have only two choices. Well, you have probably got three. You can either just doubt God altogether and give up. But if God has planted the seed of faith in your heart, then you really have only two choices. To keep living by faith or to take things into your own hands and give God a bit of a jog along the way. And sadly, that's what Abraham and Sarah do as they adopt the wrong solution. The years pass by. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian maidservant called Hagar. So she said to Abraham, The Lord has kept me from having children. Promise is gone. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Unfortunately, Abraham... Accepted the strategy. You can understand why from a human point of view. Look, God's problems have failed. I'm past it. She's past it. Let's see if we can help God along. He sleeps with Hagar. She becomes pregnant. And when this happens, immediately you begin to reap the consequences of unbelief. What happens? Strife comes into the family between the two women. It eventually leads to strife between two peoples, two nations, two cultures, and even civilizations. Let me say something you probably never thought about before. Or maybe you have. I've thought about it a lot more recently in the past few years. If Abraham and Sarah had believed God there would have been no 9-11, no Al-Qaeda, no Islam. Because out of this decision came these two nations, these two competing peoples. (laughs) From such seemingly inconsequential acts come far-reaching consequences that not only we, but generations to come live with. Now, that's the bad news. The good news is God doesn't blow the whole thing and start again. He doesn't wipe the slate clean and say, well, Abraham failed No, God still works through the consequences. When Hagar is thrown out of the family with her son Ishmael, God makes promises to him as well and them. And he doesn't abandon Abraham and Sarah, but finally, 13 years after the birth of Ishmael, God sends another message to Abraham and Sarah and he said, the time's almost here. In a year's time, I'm about to fulfill my promise. Genesis 18.10 Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. You see, God's plan was always in place. God's promise had not failed. Even though from a human perspective, Abraham was past age, the time seemed to have gone by. But there is no past age with God only His future promises being fulfilled in our lives and in our world in the present. God's timing is always perfect, always designed to bring maximum glory to Him. And so the first challenge to faith is this. It is times of apparent divine inactivity. It is then that faith is tested. It is then that faith must be exercised, or you adopt your own strategies and live with the consequences. Now, I don't know what circumstances, I know some of you in your circumstances, and even the ones I know, who knows behind the circumstances what our hopes and fears are. What are the promises that God has made to us? What are the things that we're seeking to hold on to that have not happened, that we believe God said would happen? The promises of God have not yet been fulfilled. And God seems silent. God seems inactive. You look at our world and you say, where was God in the tsunami? Where was God in 9-11 and 7-7 in the UK? God seems inactive. Do his people still live by faith in those circumstances? That is the test of faith, the first test. But linked with it is the second challenge to faith, not only the problem of inactivity, but linked with it is the problem of inability. It's indicated by the two words referring to these two people, barren, as good as dead. Not only a time passed by for Abraham and Sarah, but also the seeming opportunity for reproduction. It seemed humanly impossible for a 90-year-old woman who was barren and a 100-year-old man who was as good as dead to produce a child. No wonder then, that on hearing that they will have a son, their natural human response is to laugh. When the Lord first tells Abraham he'll have a son, we read this. Abraham fell face down, he laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And when the news is repeated again, and Sarah is it's in a tent, because Abraham was a nomad, and Sarah is listening at the door. Women don't do that these days, but she did. Uh, and uh, she, 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 she overheard what was happening. She responds in a, dif- in a similar way. Abraham and Sarah, the writer says, Genesis 18, were already old and well advanced in years and Sarah was past the age of childbearing, so Sarah laughed to herself as she thought. After I'm worn out, my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Now, none of us likes being laughed at. That's something we say because people think it's impossible, but God has a different approach. The Lord says, I will do what I said I would do. God does what we laugh at as being humanly impossible. Here's the Lord's response. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year. Sarah will have a son. And sure enough, the Lord kept his word as he said all along. Genesis 21 verse 1 to 2, the promise fulfilled. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah, notice the emphasis, what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God has promised him. Do you see the emphasis of the record? It is not what Sarah did or Abraham did. Of course, they were partners in this. But it's what God did. It's not what they planned, but what God promised. God did as he promised in the face of human inability. You see, the focus is on the faithfulness of the one who made the promise. And he fulfills, here's the principle, God fulfills his promises through human weakness. Even the weakness of faith that is only mustard seed small. You see, again, this is totally contrary to what people normally think. We, we think it is our ability that counts if God is going to work through us. In fact, the experienced faith walker learns exactly the opposite. God's power is seen best in weak people. Let me say it again, because you don't believe it, because you think, he's not talking about me. Yes, I am. God's power shows at best in weak people. Why? Because strong people think they don't need God's power. Writing the Christians in Corinth, the Apostle Paul used a beautiful picture to describe this idea of divine power and human weakness. He says, 2 Corinthians 4, 7, he says, But we have this treasure, the treasure of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, Christ in us the hope of glory, singing about it. We have this treasure in jars of clay, Why? To show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Uh, And later on in the same letter, Paul shares his own personal experience of great human weakness. What he called his thorn in the flesh. And he pleaded with God, he said, Lord, if you just take away this weakness, I can be more powerful for you. I can serve you so much more effectively. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness... And then Paul kind of goes over the top and he says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest upon me. For he's got the principle, When I'm weak, then I am strong. You see, maybe in your experience, there's something going on in your life at the moment that has shown up your human weakness. And you just wish God would take it away so that you could be a strong Christian. But God says, no, I want to keep you weak. So, in that weak situation, you'll prove my strength. And in situations of human inability, the challenge to faith is to allow God's power, the power of His Spirit, the power that raised Christ from the dead, to work in us and through us in our weakness. God delights to take those who are weak in order to confound those who are strong. Why? As the Apostle Paul says in his first letter of Corinth, so that no one may boast before him, and let him who boasts boast in the Lord, we just sang it. He turns our weaknesses into his opportunities, so that the glory goes to him. You see the glory always goes to God, because people, people are astonished, and they say, well i can 't see how that happened, or how did that how did you do that? See How do people react when they're invited to a celebration party for the birth of a son to a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman? Well, when they get there, they've got big grins all over their faces. They laugh, this time not in unbelief, but in joy, in incredulity. In fact, when this son was born to Abraham and Sarah, they took one look at him and they said, we'll call him Isaac. Isaac. Yitzhak, in Hebrew it means, he laughs. They call their child laughter. Because every time they looked at him, they said, look at that, that's amazing, it's unbelievable. What a witness. People would say in the area, they'd say, see old Abraham and Sarah, have you seen little laughter? Would you believe it? How do you think it happened? I don't know really, but something remarkable happened. God's power and human weakness, and the result is glory to God. Abraham gave the name Isaac to his son, Sarah, that Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. Sarah said, "God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me." It's worth stopping and asking ourselves, is it? One of the times in our lives and in our church when we just stop and laugh and say, isn't that just so amazing, only God could have done that? Or do people look and say, well, I'm not surprised, Charlotte Chapel's a big church and you've got lots of resources, no wonder that, you know. Or you're a very talented person, I can understand why you did that. And when God works through weak people in human inability, people say, Wow, oh, that's amazing. That's what Christian celebration is about. Genuine joy and holy laughter. So, Abraham and Sarah finally had a little laughter, the son sort of promise. But I'm going to the third and final part. There was still a part of the promise unfulfilled, a major part. What about the sand and the stars? And here's the third problem for faith inactivity, inability. Here's the problem of insignificance, indicated by the words from this one man. You see, the writer of Hebrews is writing looking backwards. Not at the time when Abraham lived, really. He knows the end of the story. From this one man, says the writer, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and countless as sand on the seashore. But Abraham didn't see that. You know, when Abraham died, all he had was a son and two grandsons. Son Isaac, twin sons Esau and Jacob. As we'll see in our next study, God willing, next week, Abraham lived by faith and he died in faith. Nonetheless, the promise would be fulfilled. It is still being fulfilled. The promise, I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And it all began with one insignificant man who God called out of polytheism and idolatry in Ur of the Chaldees, a great city of his day, to go a wandering no man's life because he walked by faith. He believed God's promise and he acted upon it. This one Abraham became the father of faith for all who believe under both the Old and the New Covenants. From him came the twelve tribes of Israel and eventually the nation of Israel. And here's the amazing thing. God's promises finally dovetail together through another one man. Not Isaac, but one who came after Abraham and yet preceded him, who said when he walked on earth, before Abraham was, I am Jesus, born of a woman, born as a member of the nation of Israel. See, God is fulfilling His plans in history. His promises are being worked out. And again, that was a remarkable birth, was there not? Even more incredible, not to an elderly couple, but to a virgin named Mary. And the promise of God, notice the promise is continuing, came through an angel. You know the words from the Christmas story. Luke 1, you'll be with child, the angel said to Mary, give birth to a son, you're to give him the name Jesus, he'll be great, he'll be called son of the most high, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, his kingdom will never end. It seemed humanly impossible. No wonder that Mary, like Abraham, had a question. How will this be, Mary, asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The answer is that God will work in her weakness, choosing a poor peasant girl to fulfil his plans. Will work by his Spirit. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born to you will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She was said to be barren, like Sarah, is in a six month for nothing is impossible with God. Have you heard that before? Same promise he made to Abraham. Now roll forward the history 33 years. And the promise to Mary of God's future greatness through this child seems totally finished. This one man is not as good as dead, he is dead. Nailed to a cross. Insignificance. The death of a common criminal. No posterity for him. Countless stars. Sand on the seashore. Ridiculous. In fact, those who walk by laugh at him with scorn. He saved others, they said. But he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross. We'll believe in him. But his purpose is not to come down from the cross, but to be lifted up on the cross. And he says, when I'm lifted up on the cross, I will draw all men to myself, men and women, boys and girls of all nations, as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore, a great multitude that no man can number. all nations on earth will be blessed through him. And in the greatest demonstration of power, in the greatest situation of human weakness, in the face of death itself, God raises him from the dead, declared with power to be the Son of God. Romans 1 verse 4, the resurrection is the beginning. Christ indeed has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The beginning of a great harvest of people. And through this one man, God's promises which began all those years ago to Abraham are being fulfilled, will be fulfilled. Here's the final fulfillment of the promise in the last book of the Bible. And we've been a long way, haven't we? We started in Genesis and we're finishing Revelation and I'm almost finished as well. After this I looked. There before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation... People and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, ''Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne.'' And to the Lamb, there's the fulfillment of all of God's promises in the face of insignificance. Through this one man, God fulfills His plans for the universe, and the curtain of history will ring down, and there'll be people from every nation, and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob will be there. And Abraham will say, "Lord, you kept your promise. Through me, all nations on earth have been blessed. It's amazing. You see, God is faithful. He always keeps his promises. Even in the times when it seems nothing is happening. God is working his purposes out. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Almost finished. Really have now. Let's just come back to our verse so that we don't get the wrong point. Once more. By faith, Abraham even though his past age and Sarah herself was barren, was unable to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Why does the writer refer to this story of Abraham and Sarah and their miracle baby? Don't get the wrong point. It is not to give hope to those, even the elderly, who suffer, and they do suffer, the pain of childlessness. This is the promise given specifically and uniquely to Abraham and Sarah. No, the reason the writer uses this story is to illustrate one point only, that God is faithful to his promises. He is carrying them out. He will carry them out. Will you trust yourself to him? Are you part of the plan? Are you in this history that God is working out? Or are you living for yourself and living with the consequences of your own actions for you will reap what you sow? You see, God is faithful. And the key to all God's promises, final verse of Scripture, again in 2 Corinthians, one of my favourite verses, for no matter how many promises God has made, They are yes in Christ. And so through him, the Amen is spoken to the glory of God. That's why when we pray, we pray in the name of Jesus. We don't dream up things we'd like to happen. We look in this book in which there are many great and precious promises. And we come to God our Father through them. And we claim them in the name of Jesus Christ because no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes and amen in Christ. And so, the, amen is said to the glory of God. It's not just a convention. At the end of the prayer we say, in the name of Jesus, amen. We say, that settles it. That's the authority. That's where God's promises are fulfilled. So, I leave you with a challenge. Are you living by faith? Faith in Jesus as your Saviour and Lord no matter what may be happening in your life and no matter what may not be happening in your life at this time because God is faithful. Let's pray together.